So um, yeah, the, the idea here is um, we wanted to figure out what exactly a knowledge graph could give us um, to, uh, in addition to like normal biological analysis of viruses. Um, and uh, so we're gonna talk about that. It also, um, I'll also tell you a little bit about uh, my company and our company mission. So I'm from Austin Capital Data. Um, one of our missions is to popularize uh, data science and, and graph analysis in general. Um, the reason behind that is we want to uh, lower the bar for complicated, um, complicated and nuanced uh, data and information. Um, okay, so that's us. Um, there's quite a challenge uh, that we face right now. A lot of data is uh, stuck in um, on inconvenient formats. Um, collecting, cleaning, and organizing this data, as we all know, is very difficult. Uh, data analysis um, and deriving insight from data is challenging. Um, this is challenging for both experts and non-experts. Um, and then knowledge graphs help us bridge the gap. I think one of the reasons why we're all here, if I can guess, is that we believe that the knowledge graph is a simplifying and, uh, and rich representational medium. Um, so our projects in the company are really based around that, like taking something that would not be so simple and uh, building out um, a representation that's a lot more simple to understand. Um, Okay, so um, yeah, the mission is uh, educating and enabling with data. I'm gonna show you um, the virus project, but I'll also show you a few other ones uh, that I'll just go through quickly to, uh, to sort of uh, push that, drive that home. Um, we, we do a number of uh, educational activities, mostly, uh, well, some of this is traditional classroom work, but um, other, other parts of this are like uh, building out these, uh, these tools. Um, the idea is to leverage data science against people's biggest problems. Um, data science changed the landscape for corporations and governments. It should change the landscape for everybody. Um, one of our biggest upcoming challenges is making data and research more accessible and useful. One of the primary tenets of science is that science is public. Um, and uh, and this, is, this is really important. This is at the core of what we're trying to do. Uh, is, is, is make science much more democratized and public uh, than it's been in the past um, because it's just complicated, right? Uh, we use radical knowledge graphs to organize and analyze these deep tech data streams that are, that are potentially difficult to understand. Um, so the data stories that we have uh, worked on are BioPredictor. Um, this is looking at different um, different biological companies and trying to predict which of them are going to be um, successful, right? And we had we were able to predict um, IPOs. That was one of our first projects. Another project is a collaboration graph. So we talked about um, science uh, and knowledge communities. How can you figure out who's doing what, who knows who, um, what they actually have published on, right? So we pulled in um, the PubMed uh, public slice and uh, we're able to find collaboration pa uh, patterns even among people we knew. Another project is uh, cancer graph. I talked about this at the last uh, at the last uh, Graken cosmos and Graken orbit. Um, these are potentially very personal and very important uh, projects. Um, let's say you or somebody you know gets cancer, where do they get information? Um, I'm going to talk a little bit more about that just to drive home the uh, educational purpose uh, that we're working on. 
and then the um the the another project that's actually been built out quite a bit more is uh is cocktails so um this was also talked about at the last uh, Gracken conference um so the idea is um how do you organize cocktails uh and flavor profiles um and most recently we've been collaborating with uh, here in from zeiss um and his company uh on ai cocktails right so you may have seen him speak about this uh the ai cocktail um compilation so let's just just so um to, to show you why we're, we're sort of taking a very general approach to graphs a very much uh, you're looking at all these different projects and uh, and using graph analytics um, we'll look at cancer graph right um, and th th this is fundamental I know a lot of the projects here are very targeted right uh, maybe you can use uh, AI to help a robot make better decisions and map a room maybe you can use uh, maybe you can use a graph to um, to find can uh, to find drug targets these graphs are much more um to educate and bring people into literature and help them organize their thought processes um so virus graph is going to be very much that um but this is um let's say you have cancer and you don't know uh, where to go um the idea well okay so this is a large relatively complicated graph it's actually a very small slice of cancer literature but um if you want to learn about this it's incredibly daunting right if you're not a medical person. Um, even if you are, you may only know a slice of this literature. Um, but you could actually get cancer, and it could become very important that you you know this information immediately, right? Or you know, you can obviously rely on your doctor, um, but uh, but you might have questions, right? And here are some questions that would come up. Um, these are actually from from uh, a person who actually my sister who had cancer. So I asked her what. Um, what exactly could we give you if we could, you know, sort of reach into the um, into the uh, cancer literature? Like, is there anything that's any pressing question that you have, um, and uh, could we could we help you answer that? And the first the first thing she said was, "Chemo is really hard. It's hard to stick out, and I'd like to know more about side effects. Right? What are the things that cause side effects? Are there any alternative strategies that uh, have fewer side effects?" And it turns out that. Uh, some people just choose to die because they can't take the chemo anymore for some very aggressive treatments. Um, and it's just that bad. So this is really uh, sort of literally life and death um, type of information if, if it's out there, right? Um, and then uh, who can I contact about new cutting edge treatments? That was another thing. And this is actually something that would be very accessible uh, from a structured graph, right? You can see who's publishing, who's getting good results, who's working on um, side effects, uh, medi medicines that have side effects? Are there any alternative therapies? If you have a, a bird's eye view of the entire literature, you can actually answer these questions or start to answer them, or, or at least say that there's no answer. Um, okay, so, I mean, we, we can look at the, the scope of the problem. And again, this is, uh, is, is not limited to cancer and I'm, I'm using it to motivate the virus question because it's just the same problem, right? The problem is that we have, access to publicly funded research, right? Um, that is, I mean, there, there's the issue of who owns the research and journals and publications, but regardless of those issues, put all those issues aside, um, you might be said, told to read the literature, right? You wanna know an answer, read the literature. Well, if she went in and tried to read the 105,000 references, um, I, I'm gonna bet she'd probably get past one or two and that would be that would be that right it's just a very daunting problem 
Um, so what we did was we built out um, a very simple um, schema that could be targeted towards relevant articles, um, PubMed article, chemical, journal, mesh term, author, and keyword, right? So the keywords, um, and this can, you know, abstract text, title, PubMed ID, these are things we use for information about, you know, what were relevant articles. Obviously this can be quite a bit more complicated, but it doesn't have to be for the purpose that we used it for. Um, okay, so, um, so here's the cancer data and a knowledge graph. This is just, uh, a schema that you or a pipeline that we would use for any of these things that we build. Um, so we've got, you know, in, in this case, we were actually querying the uh, PubMed API using BioPython and pulling in publications, right? Like for these terms, pancreatic cancer and chemotherapy side effects, we got 306 publications, still too many, right? But we can actually structure them and then look for patterns. Um, and then that's going to be the theme that I'm going to use going forward. Um, so we've got keywords, abstract text, authors, chemicals, and keywords again. Okay, let's, let's call that titles. <laughs> I think that's probably supposed to be titles. Um, and then we put that in our knowledge base, right? And then, then we have some people who do the analytics like us, and that we would give that out to the, whoever wants to uh, get that information. So that's the, the basic pipeline. Um, now, if I showed you the graph before, there's something that really pops out. Actually, there's a few things, but these two really pop out. There's, they're connected by um, articles, right? And they're two drugs, um, gems, gemcitabine and deoxycidine, right? There's a huge amount of these that come out. Now, okay, you might say that these are the, these are the uh, chemotherapy agents. Um, is there anything more interesting? Um, I think for the question of what I should do research on, if I'm somebody who has cancer and I want to know about what's causing side effects, this is a very good start. And it turns out that it's actually even more interesting because it, it looks like there's some complexity there. Um, they're very similar. These are mimics of each other, um, but they have antagonistic effects. So deoxycidine re release from pancreatic stellate cells promotes um, gemcitidine resistance, right? So this actually can affect your, um, now again, I'm not a cancer biologist, and, and I don't think I, I shouldn't have to be to get some insight from this. That's the main goal. Um, but from here, I can use this as a jumping off point with the, I guess, the working hypothesis that these two things that I didn't show you, but they're also, they're also related to uh, strong side effects um, might be counteracting each other. And uh, there might be some, some gems that we can find as we understand the structure of the literature, right? So that's the basic idea. Um, now, where can we go with that? We've got, I showed you a, a bunch of different applications, right? Um, so um, in this case, we've got the biogracking schema. So, so um, everybody, this is biogracking COVID. And this is obviously bio uh, specific and uh, the good people at Gracken um, put this together. Um, and uh, we can ask a ton of questions about this. Now, while I was thinking about what exactly could we dive into next, um, COVID-19 was interesting. This was a new addition. There's the, the virus uh, items in this, in this graph now, right? So we can find out about viruses and, and maybe start to think about how they're related. Um, okay, so if we graph these it turns out there's 15 um, related viruses, COVID-related viruses in the graph. Um, 
we can make this uh, plot. And these, this is this is 15 viruses plus um, all the proteins, the 133 proteins that they interact with, right? But what I want you to just take a look at is um, not only do we have viruses here, like like right over here, these are the two closely related COVID viruses, and then over here they they sort of sit along the spine because um, because they're they're highly connected to the proteins, um, but We've got a few things, right? We've got like a virus that's connected to a number of proteins that are sort of its own proteins are kind of private, right? But this virus is also connected to other proteins that are not, not as private. And I'll, I'll bring that concept up again about private proteins versus not private proteins. And I'm just using that from the structure of the graph. I'm not, again, I'm not a virologist, right? But I don't think I should have to be. And that's, that's the point, right? We all own this data. Um, it's all public literature, if it, it, or it's been, you know, in this case, it was, uh, this curation was donated, um, but um, we should all benefit from it, right? So, um, yeah. All right, so um, let's just talk about the data for just a second. Um, the uh, virus graph data um, leverages BioGraph and COVID. Um, it's an annotated data set of coronaviruses and their potential drug targets put together by Oxford Pharmagenesis based on literature review. So this was donated to, uh, to the Biograkin project from Oxford Pharmagenesis so that they could build up Biograkin COVID. Um, and thank you for that. Um, and, and I'm just gonna you know, go through and basically see what we can do. Can we get something digestible? Can we get something actionable? What, what's a step forward? Um, okay. So um, COVID relates uh, uh, 19 virus names. So there's actually 19 virus names in there. Some of them are overlapping, um, 15 distinct gene bank IDs and 130 virus interacting proteins, right? So, so those are the, the, the specs of that. And this is all right off the Biograkin page. And you can see uh, where it is if you wanna go there, GitHub, Vatical Biograkin. Um, okay. Uh, Let's see. So maybe we do a basic analysis, right? Like this is what you would do if you were a biologist and you want to start out looking at these things. So maybe get some bar charts, maybe make some, you know, do some correlations, uh, maybe make some heat maps, some, you know, maybe a dendritic, uh, a tree, right? Um, so let's just do that. Let's just do a little bit of that work and see what we get. Um, so I can say we've got 19 distinct virus names, 15 distinct IDs, four origins and three hosts, right? So the large majority of these things, these are each individual viruses. You can see their names over here. We've got familiar names like SARS, COVID, um, MERS, COVID, um, IBV, um, and then these, uh, this is actually the 2019 COVID, and then these are variants, right? And again, if you're a virologist, some of the stuff, uh, some of these are actually redundant, right? There's only 15 distinct ones. Um, but we can see, you know, a lot of these came from China. There's actually some that are coming from Saudi Arabia, or discovered from Saudi Arabia, South Korea, and even um, some in the USA. The vast majority of them were found in humans, um, but there's some history of uh, avian virus and then mouse, right? So we've got some, some uh, maybe spread to different hosts as well. Kind of interesting, um, interesting background, right? But, but uh, then we can look at the protein virus interactions, right? And again, like as we're talking a lot, these are just square tables um, at this point. So we can get a lot of information off of these square tables. Um, I have this tree map over here. Um, we can look at human proteins interacting with these viruses. And I, I, I told you about the distinction I'm drawing between common 
or private. So some of these are actually common to multiple viruses. And this is where the graph really starts, right? Like um, if, you, if you analyze, you know, which of these are common, you've already built a, a linking structure. Um, and this is, this is the part that, that gets interesting. Um, so seven viruses with protein data. So not all of them have protein data. And I would assume that that's a bias in publication or maybe in curation. Um, uh, obviously, all viruses should interact with a you know, certain number of proteins, but, uh, but we, we've got sort of a limited view here um, just because of what people publish on. Um, and you'll, you'll see this in the data as well when I show it, that there's quite a preponderance on COVID. And then as we get further away from COVID, there's less and less proteins that are linked. Um, so 99 proteins with one or more connection, right? Um, that should say 99 proteins with, yeah, that's, that's no, that's, that's just the ones with one connection. So it's not one or more, it's one connection. And then seven proteins with three or more connections shared by two viruses. So we've got ROA2, ROA1, ZCRB1, ACE2, BTF3, EIF3F, and FGL2. So um, if you know biology, you might say, well, these are maybe, some of these are like transcription factors and maybe, um, maybe related to transcription and translation. That makes a lot of sense. Um, you know, we know that viruses uh, affect um, transcription and translation. And um, we also know that um, we know that these, these proteins were hand-selected as potential drug targets, right? So they should be something that, the, that we could knock down, right? And that it's known to affect virus propagation, right? So, so again, we don't know about the data set except what we read, but, but these are um, things that, you know, are coming from a drug company and potentially could be targets, right, for a, for a drug intervention. Um, Okay, so given that background, we have some idea of what we're looking at. But the thing that I think is really exciting here is we can, we can now we can make a split, right? We can say, okay, well, if I really care about things that are generally interesting to viruses, right? I don't really know if these are things that are attacking the viruses or things that are, that are um, enabling the virus. Although if they're drug targets, most likely if I knock them down, I'm going to knock down viral production. So we might even say that these are things that the virus is using. But these are all just guesses. And again, I'm going to say <laughs> this is a very different approach from like a normal scientific approach where we don't talk unless we know. Absolutely. This is much more like, what can I get out of this? Do I believe it? Can I falsify it? Right. This is much uh, different. What I'm what I'm what I'm proposing here, this type of exploration. Um, OK, so. Um, now, the next step a biologist would do would they probably use do a go term analysis. And these things are are pretty general, right? You get back to this things like, like this is the go-term analysis for the proteins that came out. 54% of these proteins are involved in cellular nitrogen compound metabolic process. 50% are biosynthetic processes. I think those are, you know, biosynthetic is pretty, pretty general, right? Everything bio has biosynthetic processes. 50% of these are involved in transport, 50%, 47% are involved in signal transduction. Now, you know, I brought this up to somebody who was a very much a Go term expert, very much an aficionado. So, oh, oh, well, you've got to cut at the different levels, right? There's tiers and there's there's slim builds, and you gotta you gotta rebuild it. You gotta figure. You have to really know how to work the gene ontology to get real information out. Now, I've seen a lot of people present this and say, okay, I can't get any information out. Let's go to the bench, right? Um, either one of those things is not useful to us. 
because now we'll go back to this point about public in general, right? The first, the first thing is you really got to know how to work this very complicated tree to get any information out at all. Just proves what I'm saying, right? This is not this is not the approach for 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 a person who's not an expert. And then the second thing is you will go just go to the bench and figure this out. Again, this is not generally a good educational exercise, right? Nobody's going to do that. There's a, so I, I, I'm, I'm sort of harping on this point, but I want to make the I want to make this abundantly clear that the way things are usually done is just not good for uh, for public science, right? It's just not it's not public information. It takes expertise, and 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 this is what we're trying to get by. Okay. Uh, get past. Okay, so let's think about what we did here. And I'm going to look at my time just so I don't ramble too much. I could do that. Um, so the first thing we might do is maybe go to we might go to uh, Vatical and, and and look at the, um, the 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 virus, right? So they might say virus one is a virus, uh, protein is a protein, uh, and we will have a protein virus association that's built in. Virus two is a virus protein virus association, right? So we've, we've strung together this different, this, uh, this connection, right? This graph, which is using, um, which is using a protein as an intermediate. And here's the gold, right? This is what I'm trying to get at. We've got this one over here, SARS-CoV-2, right? That's our COVID. We've got a ton of information about this. And I would say this is probably just, um, this is probably just interest bias, right? People are really looking at this, but then the relatives <clears throat> have some things that we might actually say, are general, right? These are general pieces, general parts that we're interested in. Um, and uh, let's see, so we've got uh, FGL2 and ACE3, and then this one over here. But these two might be interesting because three viruses, uh, is, they, they're at the crux of that thing. Uh, we can look at them more closely. I'm not gonna spend time doing that. Um, but this is the general idea. So, so we expand our insight with a graph, right? Virus, protein, virus, or virus, protein, virus, right? So, so these are the private ones and these are the ones that are shared. Um, we can actually build this up in a notebook, which is where I would go next. Um, basically, uh, I'm making sure I have this gene bank ID. Um, I maybe pull in the functional description as well um, and build up a graph, right? And um, in this case, I had to dedupe it because I was getting both directions for the same relationships. So this is my deduping code. Um, now, once I build the graph, right, I can start to visualize it and I can see where it sits on the graph of all things. So this over here is um, all the different proteins, like everything in, in the graph is a protein or a virus, right? And I can go ahead and I can highlight SARS, right? And you can see all the different proteins that it connects because only vi viruses only connect direct proteins. So we've got these bundled links and you can see it's quite extensive. Um, and you, that sort of looks like what we saw in, in the, the Gracken visualization. We can look at the SARS-CoV-2. Um, now, if you look at these, these are actually very similar, but look up over here, it's actually sort of falling off, right? So we can see the, the relatedness of this data is changing. Um, then we have MERS-CoV, right? So we've got this one over here. This is uh, MERS-CoV-2014. You can see that the network looks different. And these are obviously different viruses. They should be utilizing different parts, right? Um, MHV is actually quite extensive as well. Um, IBV um, is utilizing some quite uh, some different pathways, uh, and then HCOV two two nine, right, is utilizing less, quite a bit less of this network. And then HCOV NL six three, maybe this is divergence. I don't know. Another speculation, right? And this is exactly what I'm trying to stimulate: is interested speculation. 
um, that can be proven or disproven with experience. Um, yeah. Um, okay, so let's just dig in. I've got, what, five minutes left, and I want to just, um, what do we do, right? So these are the things that people that virus, that these viruses use a lot. There's actually seven of them, but I have three of them over here. What I'm going to do is highlight the top one. That's zinc finger CCH type um, and RNA binding motif containing protein. Hmm, that sounds pretty promising. Can I find something like it that's known? Okay, it turns out that there's uh, there's studies on um, ZC3H11A, that's a CCH type zinc finger protein, right? Um, and there's a proposed mechanism and there's actually experimental data that shows that when you knock out this protein, viral particles don't proliferate. So, so here's um, it, the, the virus appears to be using this piece in this case, right? It's a different virus, it's a different protein, but this is a general mechanism. And you can see there's actually a review on these proteins. Um, in adenovirus infections. Hmm. Interesting. So this is what I want. I want somebody to say, hmm, that's an interesting piece. I've never heard of a zinc finger protein. Now I know about it. Okay. So my main point here, another point here that I just want to push through on is um, biological viruses are not the only viral threat to humans, right? What else is a viral threat to humans? Well, it turns out that there's cyber viruses. And I would argue that cyber viruses are, um, are focused on cyber threat intelligence. They analyze viruses as threats and not biological entities, right? Um, and there's an ontology called STIX2. Um, it has 18 different objects that are used to classify cyber virus threats. Now, the most, the most interesting ones for what I just talked about are tool, Legitimate software that can be used by threat actors to perform attacks. I would say the zinc finger in this case is a tool, right? That's a tool the virus is using. That's a piece of the, uh, the, this, the, the, the hardware of the cell that it's using to proliferate. And then vulnerability, a mistake in software that can be directly used by a hacker to gain access to system network. Well, that might be something like a code protein, right? Vulnerability. Um, you, can, you can even build these things up into a, into a picture, right? A relationship example. Here's a graph. We can overlay cyber threat ideas on top of viral uh, biological viruses and maybe get some important insight. Um, so in this case, we've got um, indicators. You know, you may be surveying, this might be symptoms. I'm not sure. I would probably want to talk to a virologist to figure out what an indicator might be, right? Um, maybe, maybe it's even <laughs> maybe it's even looking at, you know, looking at Twitter feeds or social media feeds and looking for symptoms that are tweeted about, right? We could get into that domain too. Um, uh, campaign, this obviously, if you think about a viral campaign, it might be an outbreak, right? Uh, targets and then attributed to uh, maybe maybe a super spreader, right? Um, in fact, the sticks to objects get even more interesting, attack pattern, campaign, course of action, right? Cures, what do you do? Grouping, identity, indicator, intrusion set, location, malware, malware analysis. Note, this is something that the analysts would do. Observed data, right? This would be, um, uh, this is duplicated. Opinion, report, threat actor, tool, and vulnerability. Now, I want to say that this is not just a simple exercise, uh, a simple intellectual exercise. There's a large cyber threat community that builds these dashboards and shares feeds, like shares live feeds about threat activity and indicators and all these different objects that are automatically parsed and pushed into servers and then sucked down at individual locations where threat intelligence analysts consume this data and act on it. So 
I find this incredibly compelling um, and uh, just just really a fun example. So that's my point. Um, I, I, I wanted to just present viruses. I wanted to look into what we have in uh, BioRack and COVID, and then maybe think about how we can get people motivated to start consuming and understanding this knowledge, not just scientists, but anybody who's got a good head on their shoulders, right? Should be able to understand this. Okay, so here's uh, BioGracken. Where we go with this, uh, if we add functional, this is already in there, we can actually make bigger graphs and figure out you know, more shared pieces, pieces that are more generally linked. Um, and then I just wanna thank my team uh, for building this stuff out with me and uh, being there and you know, having a great time with me. Um, okay, that's it. All right, I think we're out of time. So uh, thank you.